I want you to look at Philippians 3 with me. Just the first six verses, okay? Really, I ought to connect, I ought to connect most of this chapter together, at least go down through verse 11. But I know that I am confronting hungry people. I am, I am kind of in a, in a little restrained time tonight. So I want to just look at these first six verses. And hopefully we can uh, challenge one another in this, especially in this idea of rejoicing in the moments of challenge. Look at what Paul says in verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So he is speaking directly to this church that he loves. And he basically says, the reason I'm writing to you is because I love you. Now, I'm writing some of the same things. I'm, I'm having to encourage you in some of the same areas that you've been encouraged before. He said, but for me, that's not tedious. This is something that will be helpful and beneficial to you. You can hear the pastor's heart, can't you? I mean, Paul is a pastor in some ways to the church at Philippi. And he is writing to them. He is wanting them to do what is best for the kingdom. He's wanting them to be united. He's wanting them to be strong in the faith. He wants them to rejoice. And he says, that's the reason I continue to write to you. He recognizes that this church is going through moments of difficulty. We've already talked some about how there is an inward strife. And as we move through this book, you'll see some of the individuals that he'll name that are involved in this inward strife. And there's conflict inside. But what he's going to tell us in the next few verses is that there's actually this hostility, this conflict that's coming from outside the church. So get this. On the inside of the church, there's conflict, there's disunity. And also on the outside of the church, they are facing these different people who are trying to de detract from the gospel itself. We're going to look at that, but don't miss what Paul says in verse 1. In the midst of all of that, what is the church to do? Rejoice. Have joy. Allow the joy of the Lord to simply overflow. I will remind you again, rejoicing is a decision. Happiness is a choice. When Paul gives the imperative to rejoice, that means that these individuals who are listening, who are reading, these individuals have the ability to rejoice even through difficulties. Now, this is what he says in verse 2, recognizing the issues that are coming from without. He says of these individuals, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So let me just say this to you tonight. What Paul is instructing these people to do is to be on guard, to be on the lookout for those individuals who would place their faith in the flesh who would somehow boast about themselves, who would somehow put their confidence in worldly things. He says, I want you to beware of these individuals. The verbiage there means to go on looking, to stay on the alert, 
It is present tense. All of these. It's the idea of going looking for these individuals and watching them and marking them. Be on the alert from these individuals who would come in and try to corrupt the gospel of Christ. In particular, I think he is speaking about a group of individuals that we've often identified as the Judaizers. You've probably heard them referred to in different New Testament books and how they would often come into the church or come into this assembly area and they would speak about how Christ needed to be complimented. Let's put it that way. Christ had to be complimented with circumcision, rituals. In other words, in order for you to be truly saved or maintain your salvation, you had to practice Jewish ritual you had to go through Judaism itself. That's the reason they were often called Judaizers. So here are these individuals. They're putting pressure on the church. They're trying to challenge the very gospel itself. And Paul says, you better be on the lookout for these individuals. You need to stay on guard because they are coming in your midst. They were legalists. They said you had to be circumcised, you had to keep the law of Moses, and so on and so on. As they would add to the gospel. Notice again how Paul refers to these people. Very strong language, right? Verse 2, beware of dogs. For the Near Eastern people, dogs, I mean, dogs were not favored in any way, okay? Okay? Now, I'm a dog lover. I do like dogs. I don't have one, not getting one anytime soon. Hope my kids hear that very clearly tonight. But I do love dogs. I love dogs. I can't imagine, I can't imagine a, a people or a group just rejecting dogs. But the people of the Near East, they did. I, you would have thought it would have been cats, right? Most of you probably tonight. If you were going to. Be derogatory about something? Look, I've got to watch what I say. Leslie tells me all the time, I've got to watch what I say. I'll get emails this week. I, I should have known. Last night, hey, I just got to stop. Last night, I spoke off the cuff when I was doing a wedding. Some of you may have heard that. I've already gotten fan mail or hate mail. I don't know about that. All I, I, I've assessed what I said last night, okay? And basically, all I said was this couple who got married here, the spark of love had started in Dale High at a high school basketball game. And all I said was, that's probably the only good thing that's ever happened in Dale High. <laughs> and the former mayor of Dale High was here <laughs> and came to me afterwards and had a conversation I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get better about that. Obviously, I didn't. Hey, I have assessed that statement, and I stand by that statement. I'll just be honest with you, all right? Here he says, beware of dogs. Strong language. Again, the people of the Middle East, they they could not stand these dogs, and often they would use them in that title in derogatory ways. Think of the Jewish people. They would refer to Samaritans and Gentiles as dogs because they had no type of respect for them whatsoever. They referred to them as dogs. Now Paul turns the word around upon them. 
upon the Judaizers. He says, these individuals, they are the ones who are the dogs, if you will. He says, beware of these evil workers, these mischief makers, these people who somehow parade in what they call the truth, but they are actually trying to stir up mischief among you. He said, you be alert. You, you stay on guard. And then finally, notice this. He says, beware of the mutilation. Those who are self-mutilators. He goes on to explain this in the next verse. In verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. So get this. He says, these people say you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul says, all these people are doing, it, all they're doing is, is mutilating themselves. They are not attaining salvation. Salvation comes, notice this in verse 3, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. The, the salvation comes through Christ Jesus. He says, beware of these people. Watch out for those who would preach another gospel. Be careful of scavengers who would come in your midst. And, and basically, they were scavengers. Uh, some have even suggested that like the roaming dogs of the countryside, the Judaizers would follow Paul around on his missionary journeys. And you do see that in the book of Acts. They often follow him from place to place to try to subvert the gospel of Christ. So again, Paul says, beware of these people. They're resume builders. They are placing confidence in the flesh. He says, you beware of them. You make sure that you are on the lookout for those who would put their faith in the flesh. And then he reminds us that our confidence, our assurance is in Christ, not the things of this world. Again, verse 3, that's what he says. He says, we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the ones who bear the mark. Metaphorically, we bear the mark of the covenant. We somehow bear the mark of Christ Jesus. We rejoice in him because we have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, we're not about building the resume. And then I, I love the way Paul does this. He gives them his resume. He said, now I'm not into this. But if you want to compare resumes, I will put mine out there for you. These are my credentials. If you're concerned about who I... I'll put this out there for you to see. Notice verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, I will compare with you any day what I have done, who I am, what has occurred in my life. He says, I will bring my resume to bear. Look at verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day. In other words, he says that just as every young boy should be circumcised on the eighth day, he says, I followed that. My parents followed that before I could even make a decision. My parents were leading me 
in the way of the law. Literally what it means is, I'm an eighth-day man. That's the way it reads in the original. I'm an eighth-day guy. He said, of the stock of Israel. In other words, my heart has been for Israel, for the nation itself, of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that significant? The first king of Israel came from which tribe? The first king came from the tribe of Benjamin. Actually, this guy here, the writer of Paul, the writer of Paul, he like bears the name of the first king. Remember Saul? Isn't that right? Some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all either thinking about ice cream or y'all thinking I'm going off. Saul. Remember, Paul had borne that name. He was, na- he was like, hey, I was born into the tribe that gave you the first king. I w- and basically what he's saying is, I was named after the first king, okay? If you want to get down to it, even her names, even her pedigrees, even the tribe itself, he said, bears out my devotion to this nation. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I think that's a statement there because you remember Paul was born in Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. And there are a lot of people especially the Jewish individuals, I think, of the time, that would have said, oh, he's just one of those Hellenists. He's one of those that are, they're Greek sympathizers. He's not a true Hebrew. He's not. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Everybody who has known me has seen that in my life concerning the law of Pharisee. Why is that so significant? Because the Pharisees took the law so, they they viewed it so importantly, so seriously. Remember in the New Testament, there's several different groups. But often you'll hear the Pharisees and the Sadducees in particular mentioned. What what was the difference? But the Sadducees, they didn't believe in all of the prophecy of the Old Testament. They basically accepted the Torah, but not the rest of the Word of God. They they denied things like angels and miracles and the supernatural, and they denied the resurrection itself. That's the reason they were sad, you see. I know it's corny, but hey, helps you remember maybe. That's the reason they were, they're the Sadducees. That's who they were. Paul said, I wasn't part of that group. Oh, yeah, and the Sadducees, they had these allegiances with Rome, and they were much more favored by the Roman. That's the reason they basically, the Sadducees were the priestly bunch, because they were in favor with the Rome. And most of the nation of Israel hated Rome for what it had done. The Pharisees, The Pharisees were more the lay people, conservatives, people that looked at the law and studied the law and took it very seriously in their lives. Pharisees were very zealous in their approach to God's word. You've got to give them that. I know most of the time we look back and we think of how terrible the Pharisees. And listen, Jesus did call them out. But in that day and time, the Pharisees were the ones who would have been the respected individuals in the community. 
because of their practices and their disposition toward the law. And what Paul says is, I was the strictest. I was serious. I, I, a Pharisee, he said, when it came to the law itself, concerning zeal, you want to get zealous? How about my record of persecuting the church? Remember, Paul was standing there when Stephen was martyred. The way we're given it in Scripture is as though he was assenting to the death of Stephen. When he's on the road to Damascus, what's he going to do? He is going to persecute early believers. Paul says, don't talk to me about your resume until you start examining my resume. You're trying to build yours up. He said, I've already built mine. He said, of righteousness to the law? He said, blameless. He's not saying perfect, but he's basically saying, listen, this is the same guy that writes that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he knows he's a sinner. But what he's saying is, is there is no charge that you could bring against me when it comes to the law itself. You wouldn't do that. Paul says, I've got reason to have confidence in the flesh. But again, in verse 3, he had told us confidence in the flesh is nothing compared to our confidence in Jesus Christ. Listen, he'll go on. And like I said, I'd like to connect verses 7 through 11. I'll do that the next time. I stand here on Sunday night. We'll connect it. We'll talk about his re-imaging of his life. But let me just say to you, Paul denounces those individuals that would put their confidence in flesh. He says we ought to beware of those people. He said that we ought to make sure that we are boasting in Christ rather than in our resumes because get this you and i can build up all the resumes we want we can we can hang all kinds of certificates in our offices we can we can shout to to the highest point our achievements and accomplishments but outside of the lord jesus christ they are nothing They will never allow us to know what true salvation is. They'll never allow us to know what a true relationship with God is. Some people today, they're still building their resumes. And you know what? You'll still hear people, these legalists, who will say, well, this is the resume you got to have. This is the pedigree you have to have. This is... The work experience that you've got to put on here. These are the honors you must have. The gospel of Christ is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. 
You don't add things to it. You don't try to create a resume in order to gain acceptance. You and I, we can never gain acceptance on our own because our resume would never look good enough. You know, I think about it sometimes and been through different moments where I've interviewed people for jobs and all of that. And Man, sometimes you can get resumes, sometimes a two or three pages. Sometimes you get them 30 pages. Some of you who've done this, you've, you've seen that, right? Usually when I get the 30-page one, I just set it to the side. I ain't got time to read all that. If that guy thought that much about himself or that, like, we'll just kind of let him keep thinking that. I don't want to critique him in any way. So we just move it to the side. But so many of us, in our self-effort, our self-ambition, we continue to try to build it. What we do, even in the spiritual kingdom now, that's what we're doing, is we're trying to build the resume. And again... Too often, we take the posture of the Judaizer and we tell people, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. We start believing that, that somehow salvation comes through this. God has done all that needs to be done to provide salvation. You don't have to add to Jesus. He's just enough on his own. All he asked for us, trust, faith. Repentance, to come to him and just say, God, I believe you. I trust in your son. I give my life to him. I surrender to his lordship, to his will. God, I want to follow you. Nothing else. Just acceptance of his lordship in our lives. And even from there out, guess what? It's still about boasting in Jesus each day. I talked to you this morning about maximum investments, and that's great. I, I encourage you again to what I said this morning of looking at the gift God has given you and using it. And yes, how blessed it's going to be to hear well done and good, good and faithful servant. But hey, even after we're saved, it's not just about building the resume for our own glory. It is about His glory. Just as Paul says, if we're going to boast, let's boast in Jesus. I want to tell you, that's a better thing to brag about any day than you or me, anything else, the church. Let's boast in Christ, in what He has done, and what He has accomplished. And then, as we boast in Him, we also rejoice in Him. That's where the joy comes. Because when all the stuff comes from the outside, and yes, it will, we can still know joy because we have made the decision that we will follow Him, we will stay with Him, we will listen to Him, we will abide in Him. We'll know the joy that comes through His indwelling presence and peace in our lives. May we experience it daily. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for just uh, allowing us a few moments to just take your word and, Lord, uh, hear from it and 
Lord, just be challenged by it. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who are here that you would help us that even as outside forces try to influence us, Lord, even as there are some who would challenge the gospel itself outside these walls, God, I pray that you would help us to walk in joy, knowing that we are secure in you. God, thank you that it's not about us, but it's about you. And we thank you for sending your son to give to us something we could never achieve on our own. Lord, we praise you tonight, and we pray that when we leave this place, we will represent you, we will boast in you, we will take joy in your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight as we have this moment of commitment and invitation to come as God calls you?